Hello to the Gestalten Podcast. My name is Martin Groschwald and we are finishing off our IAA 2021 design panel reviews slash recap. And this week, you will be able to listen to the design panel around how infrastructure and design shape the future of our spaces. And who would be better to moderate a panel like this than the all-time great and beloved by many people, Chris Bangle. And he was supported in this conversation by Wayne Burgess, who's the VP Design of Ola Electric, Thomas Stelmach, who is an absolute expert when it comes to urban and infrastructure development within cities. And of course, the BMW Design Works president, Holger Hampf, who had an absolutely fascinating conversation. It is probably my absolute favorite one from the four that we had, even though it was very, very difficult for me to make a little bit of a ranking. But uh, Chris has done a fantastic job for everybody. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I did when I was attending. And again, this was live from the IA 2021. Enjoy. I like that. That's a wonderful round of applause. That's fantastic. Everybody here, English speakers, are we okay with this? Yeah? Ich glaube, wir haben fast die Hälfte, Hälfte können das auch in Deutsch tun. I guess we're doing this all in English. So, that works. Okay. Thank you very much for coming this afternoon here at the IAA. Uh, and uh, I get to, I'm the only one who gets to not wear a mask, but they, they throw this in, uh, in something afterwards. So, I have a very interesting group here today. To, to share this discussion. They're a mix of designers, designers, and designers. So I don't think I would say any of you guys are not designers, but they come from a long experience with different types of expertise. And the subject area that we're into, the subject area of how the shape of our environments will change, spaces will change, due to the relationship of design and infrastructure in a mobility exhibition like we're in today is actually really, really valid because it's valid from the point of view of communities. It's valid from the point of view of political decision-making. And we have experts on this all the way down to is exactly this physical object with these wheels or propellers or whatever it is, the right one for this. And I think if you have any interest at all in that, and probably you guys do, these are the right people to, uh, to hear their opinion on that. And so I'm very, very happy to have with me uh, a very interesting group. And I have a very unusual order here, so I have to be careful to follow it here. The first, and there should be a picture here, Wayne Burgess. Wayne, you're the first I get to introduce. Sit wherever you want, Wayne, but anyway. Thanks, Chris. Um, do we have a picture here of Wayne? Because I don't have a clicker, so somebody brings it up. I look like this, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Say something so I can hear. Can you hear? Uh, yeah, so this is me. You don't okay, need a picture. You, I'm here in real what life. What do I do? Wait a minute. What? Ah! I didn't know it was here. Okay. We're very amateur here. You'll <laughs> like this. Okay, hang on a sec. That's me. There we go. Okay. That's you. Okay, uh, a few words about Wayne. He plays in a rock band. I think right away that <laughs> justifies him in my world. Any, anybody who's a car designer and also plays in a, in a rock band is a like, seriously cool guy. 21 years in Jaguar Land Rover, including uh, Aston Martin. I think you were, what, seven years design director there? Yes. 
seven years design director at JLR. Spent a while in Geely, I suppose, just to, you know, kind of relax a little bit like yeah. that afterwards. And now he is the um, vice president of design for Ola Electric, which makes these electric scooters. So basically the gamut of your experience is luxury sport vehicles all the way across through, let's say, Geely makes a fairly broad range of vehicles, right? Volvos, everything like that. Absolutely. Right down to uh, personal mobility on a scooter skate. So please welcome for me, for me, please, um, Wayne. For Wayne Burgess, please welcome here on our stage. Ah, I don't know how these things work. There. Now you can read it yourself. See, if I give that all away, then I have nothing to say. Okay, so we're going to say, Holger, I know more is coming. So now I can say, whoop, Holger Hanf. Okay. Yeah, next, Holger Hanf, who I personally have uh, worked with uh, oh, in my days at BMW, because Holger has been long, long year ago. I think he went 23 years in correct. Yeah. BMW yeah. world. He is yeah. the president of DesignWorks USA, which is a global design consultancy that is a daughter company of BMW. They are experts in about everything that you can design from yachts to spaceships to Hyperloop trains to drones to products to everything, right? Did I miss something? Nope. That all in there like too? Some cars too. And even a few cars on occasion. Uh, very proud of that as well. Um, Holger in particular, I mean, I, what I really like uh, my days with Holger, and I'm, you can explain this better to other people, is probably one of the few people in BMW who has the most holistic view about how all of this has to come together. And for that reason alone, I think you were named director of Design Works, which is the one place inside BMW where it all has to come together. Yeah. Did I say this correctly? Yeah. Very so good. Please welcome to me, for me, Holger Hamphier. Thank you. Nice, huh? See, I just said it, and then it appears. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, our last panelist here, last but not least in a long way, is Thomas Stelmach. Thomas comes all the way over here from uh, his own development company called uh, Architectural Company, TSPA. Thomas is a, uh, a designer, but more importantly, he led a pace of his life that I wish I could have done. He ran a nightclub. It's like so fucking cool. Like, I think all designers everywhere, they want to be rock stars or they want to run their own nightclub. And I mean, Thomas said you did that. I mean, that puts you square in the camp of people who understand the urban experience because it doesn't probably get any more urban than that. Um, besides uh, being an uh, expert consultant for the UN Habitat Program, which advises cities on how to be better cities, uh, he runs his own um, development for strategic vision for cities as diverse as from Chemnitz all the way to Mozambique, uh, to putting factories in Moscow. I miss all anything? That. Lots of stuff there. So cool. anyway, all that from Thomas. Please give a big hand. Welcome for Thomas Stamach. Thank you. Okay. I leave it at that. And we're all there. And you're all sitting precisely in the wrong order. You guys, <laughs> good, no good. sense. Anyway, I'm the moderator here. I'm Chris. Um, uh, as they said, I, I'm down in Italy, but I came up today especially for this and to experience the EAA plus a beer garden. So I don't think it gets any better than that or it shouldn't. Anyway, what a great mix, right? Well, uh, the panelists here today are to talk about this subject of design, infrastructure, and the future of spaces in the urban environment or our environments in general. And I want to make sure we stay on that track, but we don't just wind up in a discussion about how many different charging stations we're going to place everywhere or whether they're going to be round or square. Instead, there's bigger issues at hand. Um, and 
we'll dance around some of these things. But uh, I think it would be very interesting. And Holger, I'm going to lead with you on this. Um, because DesignWorks has worked across such things as drones. They've worked into autonomous driving cars. And if you look at the difference between two product lines, one with wheels, but a complete different driving setup, and one with no wheels, you ask yourself, if I was a city planner, which one is going to have the most impact on how I want my urban environment to be, or my city to be, or my countryside to be? So if you were looking downstream from your experience and said, okay, autonomous driving vehicles, which may be inevitable, but drones, which one would you say offers more chance for a positive change of the spaces and with it, the infrastructure needed to, to make them be a reality? Um, yeah, thank you, Chris. <clears throat> I would say the, uh, the easiest answer to me would be that uh, micromobility, two-wheel mobility, and alternative mobility to uh, the car, the traditional car, is one of the answers we're looking for. Um, however, um, being a designer across all of these uh, different mobility segments, I would say the answer is not that easy. It's basically a little bit of all. I think um, it's the diverse offering of different modalities to transport people and goods around that uh, point towards a solution. So um, we have been looking at public transportation um, and you know, now earlier there was a, um, a talk about uh, public transportation level four uh, transport pods. Um, they have to fit into an existing uh, public transport uh, system. And um, I would say that you know, this, is, this is more about or the discussion needs to be more about if we continue to add modes of transportation and different alternatives, such as air taxis in the third dimension, something else has to give. There is just simply not much more space to add things uh, to the current mobility systems. So I think we have to be very careful and just keep on adding alternatives. We've seen this with scooters. You know, we add scooters to the city. They create more noise, uh, more uh, Trash in the havoc. city, basically havoc, basically um, cause for accidents and so on. So I would say that um, the system has to be planned properly. The system or the, 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 the solution is not a single one. It has to be um, diversified and the system in of itself has to work together. Um, and things have, have to be replaced rather than be added on top. If, if, if I took that that statement that says, okay, it's going to be multiple systems. We're going to try and replace things instead of just adding on top. And I turn to, to Thomas, who's basically you advise people on how to create a city, right? If you were to take that input and say from him, yeah. you, can, you can disagree, but say, okay, as a city planner, um, I would look to you for advice. Where do I put my money? You know, how do I make my environment the best to promote the best, mm -hmm. knowing that cities were, were originally based on one mode of transport, uh, horses, mm -hmm. and the layout is still pretty much the same. You know, you go downtown Munich, okay, it's changed a little bit, but it still worked that way with horses. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking, as Holger says, third dimension, things like this, uh, a proliferation of, of use and dispose transport modes, such as scooters and things that people just leave lying all over the place. How would you see this as from your point of view? Yeah, there's an interesting question of permanence there, no? Because um, mobility modes change quickly. Uh, it can happen in a couple of years. Um, buildings 
um, change a bit slower, no? They have a lifespan of 20, 30 years, but the roads never change. Uh, at least the corridor, we still see roads in Rome, which have been 2,000 uh, years in that city. And everything else around changed it, but not the corridor itself. So if you ask um, where to put the money, um, I, I answer sort of with a counter question, who's, who's taking that decision even? Because Holger has argued very much from a solution, from a technology point of view, which is fine. What's the mode of mobility of the future? But there's also a decision-making question there. Um, so is it the uh, technological companies who develop the platforms, the mobility platforms, or innovation itself that will shape the city? Or is it um, the, the governance system, uh, the democracy that sort of tries to regulate, often too late, often trying to catch up? Or is it um, yet different players that come into action? Um, we all use uh, different algorithms to move around in cities now, be they made by uh, Nokia, Google or Apple, it doesn't matter. And suddenly uh, we use different routes to move in the city, no matter which transport mode we use. So uh, I'm wondering where, you know, if you ask where's the money, probably in all that, in the corporation, but who's taking that decision? If I, if I could jump on top of that, mm -hmm. I have been part of uh, city planning meetings, town hall meetings, big cities, okay, in Italy, right, yeah. where they come up with this problem. Um, you have citizens who say, I need to be served right now, that I need bus routes, I need buses, etc., like mm -hmm. that. You've got uh, the city that says we don't want to invest anymore in an aging diesel-powered infrastructure, but we don't have the cash to, to pump out, to, to switch everything over into something new. And you have a, a different group that's saying, just let everybody charge us on their phone apps, and it'll settle itself out. Right. Right? So... I think in a certain way, somebody has to take the lead. And yeah. quite often, if governance takes the lead, now here I'm looking for a response yeah. from you on that, they might make huge mistakes, but at least they set something everybody else has to revolve around. You think that's a possibility? Yeah, we I mean, know governance is slower than the te technological development. You know, uh, it's catching up. We see that in IT and regulation now of data security and internet and so on. But, but I, I would have to agree with you. Um, on the one hand, the scooters are cluttering up the roads. And now all the competitors are trying to establish their own system. We see the brands changing all the time. It's about market share and being there first and establishing themselves. But of course, it could be handled so much better with a little bit of regulation, just require an API, a system that um, the, the general app or the data is available to the city that the citizens and the administration sees where are these scooters or whatever, out, whatever other forms of mobility that an integrated system can develop, which is more cooperative than uh, competing against each other. So there I see a big role in governance, not as a hindrance, as a, no. you know, as a roadblock, um, but rather as an enabler or forcing the industries actually to be more open than it might be in the interest of uh, solely profit-oriented uh, mindset. We, really we talk like about public infrastructure after all. There's a public in there. Mm -hmm. I definitely mm -hmm. like the idea of, of cities becoming enablers. But, you know, the point you said about a proliferation of, like, scooters, for instance, <laughs> we just come down here at the end. <laughs> When, you know, if, if I could ask you about this, when, when you're talking to your company about the right product to make, you know, how do you, how do you deal with the fact that they basically need to make money 
and you're trying to make something, I'm sure as a designer, which has the least negative impact possible and the most positive impact possible. So how, how, do, you, uh, how do you balance that? Well, I think you're absolutely right, Chris. No, no business can be in this uh, for purely altruistic reasons. Everybody has to have a sustainable business model of their own. Um, I think the, the sweet spot, and certainly it's what attracted me to, the, to, to all of the company I work for now, is that they very much have embraced the agenda for becoming carbon negative. They are campaigning the, the government in India, in fact, to, to move to zero emissions vehicles faster. Uh, there's been some legislation introduced very recently that says by 2025, no more IC-powered scooters will be sold in India. So we're working hand-in-hand hand with the government to actually help deliver that change. So the sort of the, 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 the green credentials are there at the same time that, of course, we're also in the business of producing a vehicle which we retail and, and gives us a sustainable business as well. But it's, it's, it's interesting just to go back to our early discussion about government policy actually being the catalyst for changes in cities because certainly if I look at it from a UK and, and, and sort of Europe perspective, uh, the UK has seen massive changes in city centres in the last decade, largely driven by government policy, which is, again, uh, IC engine vehicles banned from city centres, which has opened up the opportunity for pedestrianisation, which has led to a growth in personal mobility solutions. You can see the dominoes are sort of beginning to sort of fall into place. Uh, and for me, I think as much as we might try as pioneers in our own industries to change things, it always seems to be government policy that ultimately swings the pendulum in favor of, of a transition. I could, I could imagine that. Yeah, coming back down to, to Holger, what you're saying, something's got to give if something is, is going to come in. So now we've kind of maybe established the fact that governments have a, could have a strong role in this, could be very positive. There's some examples there. Um, I'd like to come back to the individual on this as well as we work into a, a world of big data and individual responsibility through through apps. Like, why is it the car guys have to pay for everything? You know, I'm not really sure how many of these roads out there are being sustained by bicyclists, but mm -hmm. somebody can tell me that number. I don't <laughs> know it. As you see this, Holger, going into there, where do you see that, that priorities should be made then? Because it's priorities that people need to understand to make those decisions, what gives and what takes. Yeah. Let me try to open this up a, a bit again, because uh, I think even the word government policy has a certain negativity to it. I believe as a designer and also as design works that you have to go at it with a positive attitude, not that kind of, you know, uh, this, this kind of dark gray future of like everything will go down the drain, uh, especially cities and the traffic and everything. <laughs> government policy sounds negative. I, I like another word uh, and I would like to offer it is is curation of experiences, something where a government or uh, a dis decisive um, um, body would um, try to curate experiences in cities. That also actually, by the way, prevents cities from kind of just becoming cookie cutter. Uh, that was one of, of the points, um, you know, how do we keep them? Yeah, unique? yeah correct. Yeah. You know, I, I think if a, if, a, if a decisive or a decision body in the city can kind of curate mobility experiences in, within the city and kind of offer these different modalities and decide which also which technologies to let in and keep out, uh, what to reduce and what to add, I think then we get to something that kind of works as a system that works holistically. And, um, and that's something I'm interested in. And this is where design plays an essential role because we've always visualized these type of um, systems. We embrace complexity. We like 
to understand how things work hand in hand. And sometimes in cities, you still find these kind of, you know, these these silos where someone takes a decision and basically decides on uh, a certain amount of scooter brands to integrate. And they haven't talked to anyone else in the city uh, to, to kind of make that happen or make that uh, for, for that to make sense. So, um, again, um, curation, uh, almost like, Chris, you... You relate to music, uh, the orchestra. If there is no conductor, they all play just like all over the place. I like uh, a good conductor to to kind of you know um, you know tell uh, the individuals when to play. I, I do like this idea that that the government could have something called curators within yes. a, of experience. I really like that. I think it's very <laughs> elegant. You're gonna you're yeah, gonna I'm, 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 I'm getting all excited here because um, <laughs> it almost sounds, sounds like a description of my profession, if you want. Because, yeah, I am not uh, in the government or in the governance myself, but this is exactly uh, what we are as urban planners and developers because we are uh, experts of none, basically, but we are very much breaking down the silos, trying to understand, yes, the, the issues of communication and um, uh, branding of the city, as well as the technological yep. challenges, as well as the, the democratic uh, processes, and trying to bring that all together in a sustainable system that sort of works. Mm -hmm. And cities are maybe the most complex machines that we have engineered uh, as humans, if you want, uh, on a big picture. And to make that function is indeed all in these uh, overlaps and in the communication. I like but, the I like the idea that that this this um, session is about spaces, which is a very architectural concept, right? <coughs> in spaces, and could we be looking forward to a new definition of our spaces through these ways? And, and in the end, I'm going to come all the way down to you so that I understand how the actual vehicles themselves are going to work in there. But just so stay on this point of yours of curating this. Is it possible for us to have a visual concept of our world where we can say it is now 2020, my sense of confinement, my sense of open, my sense of freedom is this, and by 2030 it will be different? Or will it be the same and I'll just be using different objects in it? Mm -hmm. We talked about the identity, you brought it up now, about the identity of each city and its cultures and tradition. And while you raise the point that we cannot keep adding because it becomes more and more cluttered, I see an enormous potential of decluttering uh, the streetscape, uh, the public space of our cities, because so much of it is actually regulating uh, visually, uh, legally, where you can park, move for, for very reasonable reasons of safety, um, of keeping things flowing, etc. But with the um, smarter systems that are emerging, and much of that can be done away with. And that actually gives the space back to functions the streets and the spaces originally had. Uh, culture, commerce, uh, markets, uh, communication, and again, uh, demos, if we go back all the way to Greece, you know, that's where it happened. That's where decisions were being made in the public space. And I think a decluttering is possible and uh, reclaiming of that for other purposes, which can be enormously beneficial and also allow, to go back to the identity, to bring this um, feeling at home, the non-genericness uh, back into our cities. I think that's, that's very important. You know, when, when you come down to vehicles that are no longer 
you know, five meters of vehicle where you're going to put all this autonomous and stuff it full of sensors and everything, but you're down to a single person type of device. Do you think they will evolve to the point where their role in this type of mixed environment will become as seamless? We don't have to worry about getting run down by them. They'll be able to handle their share of the responsibility within the cities. I think that's the utopian vision, isn't it? That's that is the, my utopia. I don't yeah. want to get run down by the damn yeah. things. <laughs> I, I, I think I think we're on a, a long journey to get there. And and if if that utopian vision is delivered in any kind of significant proportion before I retire, I'll be extremely pleased. But I think there are definitely steps that we can see along the way that help make that happen. Um, and just thinking about the spaces and how actually the technology can work with the spaces. So we know the challenges with autonomy, for example, and we know that it actually the best way to deliver it quickly is to have geofence locations. So you have governed routes around cities that autonomous vehicles can take. If we work with the urban planners, we can actually really make those effective and put them in the right place to free up spaces for pedestrianisation in the urban environment and so on. And then, and it's interesting, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of still up here in my thinking about this whole opportunity when we get down to the aesthetics of the vehicle, something that I've been encouraging our team to, to think about is these vehicles are going to be operating in amongst pedestrians in pedestrian areas. And they are absolutely right. Safety is of paramount importance. But I think also the way these vehicles look and feel and behave has to be much more approachable and much more friendly and not threatening. So, you know, we look at our automotive backgrounds and, you know, I've, I've designed sports cars and stuff where it's make it sexy, just make it look cool, you know, give it give it some visual oomph. And I, I think we're moving to a very different place with uh, mobility design and urban environments because you don't want it to be any of those things. You want it to be friendly, unthreatening, unassuming, uh, accommodating. It brings a totally different aesthetic to it. And that, that really fascinates me. That's what excites me. If, if I can... If I can be part of that before I retire, I'll be very, very happy. Okay. 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 I'm kind of sold. Not 100%. I'm kind of sold. I mean, personally, I mean, I like when I moved to Torino in the 80s, the buses there, if you guys know anything about Italian city buses, they look scary as hell. Okay. They were really freaking nightmare. I mean, they look like death on wheels. Yeah. You know, besides being all dirty and everything like that, they were just designed to look horrific and you know what you never stepped off the curb in front of one of them yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to say and, something. And this idea that they're all friendly now yeah. okay i agree one word about the curb it's very interesting i think uh, most of us travel a lot uh, watch the height of the curb and the cities where you go because you will see the more developed trusting the society is the lower the curbs are you'll find curbs of uh, 40 50 centimeters height in cities like cairo because everybody is it's scared of the traffic you go to the netherlands and it's basically all wheelchair access and here in germany we're sort of in the middle at 10 15 centimeters and there's an interesting psychological effect how we perceive traffic well there's also these towns uh where they're in germany where they have like no curb no yeah. traffic you know you just you come in and you're responsible as a car right, driver right. and there's a guy walking there. So, you know, right. deal with it anyway. Right. It, it, but to me, it's what's interesting to me about the point you bring up is if we decide as a culture, you know, we do want things friendlier. We really don't want to be scared by our buses. You know, we would like the buses not to hit us, not the other way around. Right. Yes. Then maybe we have a chance to develop an aesthetic as well, which signifies the age that we're in. 
And I, as a design critic, will tell you that right now we don't have that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. We're, we're missing something that says, right now we live in a world which looks like this for a reason. But, I mean, that's another thing to go down. However, however, a company like yours that works across all these different vehicle platforms plus other other platforms, certainly you have the opportunity to establish the aesthetic that says, you know what, it is belong to this future world, which is better than the past, right? And it's mm-hmm. not just modernism per se. Yeah. Well, one of the models of design works is these are uh, these three words, better, beyond, beautiful. And I would I agree with Wayne that aesthetics and um, the beauty of, of, of something, of an object or infrastructure is almost like has to be a no-brainer for a designer. It's like, check the box. Absolutely, it has to uh, it has to appeal. It has to look good in the environment. But uh, I'm also trained as an industrial designer, and uh, I I, uh, t- I want a designer to take great great care of functionality and um, um, the just how things work. And um, I'm of the strong belief that um, any infrastructure or kind of operating vehicles in cities also has to has to be fun for a community and it has to kind That's of be you, engaging. I, I really love your idea of, of infrastructure as fun. Yeah. Yeah. Can you go down that just one? Yes. Like a charging station is fun. Well, you know, uh, funny enough or actually a, a bit embarrassing that, you know, not much has changed. DesignWorks has done a project for BMW in 2009, believe it or not, 13 years, 14 years ago, which was called the future of charging. Uh, we are now working for the city of Los Angeles on a project that is called Mobility Hubs for Los Angeles. And the concepts kind of stay the same. They offer uh, a, a type of mobility hub where certain modes of transportation are coming together. And uh, they offer an environment to the people using it that is fun to use. That's actually fun to congregate and to hang out for a few minutes. And uh, I, I, I just generally believe that we have to get off that wagon of, of kind of, okay, you know, now we're talking about chargers. It's all about like the least amount of time. Let's start the competition with the gas station and say like, I need to be done in five minutes. Maybe it is the opposite. Maybe it is a place where we come together and we have fun using this and have a coffee uh, while we do it. I don't know. I think um, there's more opportunities, especially in the city landscape, to design these places as new places and not try to uh, create the next gas station. Well, maybe that is the next gas station is the fact that it isn't that. Yes, And it is a a relationship between what used to be two things. Here's for your vehicle. Here's for you. Yeah. In one thing and then not a mini mart. Yeah. Okay. I mean, let's, that's been yeah. done. Okay. We don't have to go there. But so, so go ahead. Yeah, if I could just jump in there, because that's very much the sort of uh, the ecosystem that we're looking at and developing right now for the scooters. So, again, at the moment, charging electric vehicles is a little bit inconvenient and a little bit time consuming. So, we've immediately jumped to a place that says, well, they're charging cafes then. People like drinking coffee everywhere. So they stop, they have a chat, they have a coffee, and the vehicle is charged as a sort of a consequence of, of that activity, if you like. It's, we've flipped it around. And I think that's actually an example of how that we, we are changing because the days of going to a gas station and filling the tank in a matter of seconds are, are gone. That It is going to take more time, but why don't we use that time productively? Why don't we stop and have a chat and why don't we have a coffee? It might sound a little utopian, but it's actually a behavior that most of us do every day anyway. Most people buy a coffee on their way to or from work. 
why not charge a vehicle at the same time? Mm. So I think it's a really good notion, and I think we're in the same place about making the infrastructure fun and enjoyable to use and just a seamless part of your life is a really important yes. approach. Let me, part of your life. Let me, let me pose this in a slightly different way. You know, and uh, when we were working on a, a car for China Reds, the, the Chinese had a very clear idea of space. They said there's the first space, which is your home. The second space is where you work. Third space is where you congregate physically. We're not talking internet spaces like Starbucks's, the third space, right? You meet in a third space. And they said the fourth space is for you. It's your space. And so basically our design of our car was around this idea, what is your space? And if you take that further forward, many spaces in the urban environment, which are fixed now part of architecture, may be transferred into mobility spaces. There's nothing that says that in this future world, we, we're obligated to sit in this particular SAE model, uh, 95th percentile driving position with our legs at you know 35 degree, blah, blah, blah. Look at how many vehicles are here on display, which are all about a space. I can stand, I can sit, I can do different things in. And that space substitutes what previously might have been a meeting room, might have been a preparation room, might have been a place of rest. So I'm going to start here, Tom, you know, as, as a point of view of how urban world changes, what do you see about the possibility of a shift of space into something that's actually moving? Yeah, it's it's exciting and interesting, um, and it has to do with fun. Actually, I would like to to pair the word fun with uh, a second word, which is unpredictability or uh, flexibility, the unforeseen. You know, because we are very used again for good reasons that things are uh, spaces are dedicated to a certain function. You know, this is the bicycle lane, this is a square with the chair. That's where you sit. But we all know. That we like to be in, in uh, we like to sit somewhere where we have the best view, and maybe the chair's not there, so we, we move it. I think many of you, while sitting down, moved your chair a little bit just to make it your own. And, and these are uh, opportunity of owning the space and building in this flexibility in the systems is great. And it's an opportunity. And I do think, um, to going back to these freed up spaces, that now as we might need less to fix things with science and dedication because of the smartness, because of uh, new ideas, how things are developed. We can be much yet even more flexible how we use our spaces. A lot of space will become available. We are, for example, working at the moment on a startup, uh, City Scan, where we try through algorithms, algorithms just to find the most safe uh, space-saving places and the ideal positions for urban infrastructure. So where, if you want where to put the charging station, but also where to put the public toilet or the kiosk or the square, where do the children uh, play and live, to then basically open up these spaces of opportunity, which are unpredictable. Can we get the public toilet in your car? In the car? <laughs> do you want that? Yeah, it's not rocket science. It's just plumbing. Do you want that in your own car? Kid, I don't my know. My kids are already there, Chris. What's that? <laughs> my kids are already there. Yeah, their kids are already there. <laughs> <laughs> Can I add to what Thomas is saying, yeah, please, Chris? Yeah, please. please, just quickly. I was recently very inspired by uh, uh, a talk by a South American architect who talked about, who was actually quite critical of their own practice, uh, of his own practice. And he talked, he didn't use the, the word flexibility, but... Uh, he talked about uh, architects uh, having designed for years and years um, 
solid objects, objects that remain. You said it earlier, kind of, you know, uh, roads even uh, change less, but uh, buildings are there to be. Um, and he said that architects uh, need to change uh, their mindset uh, to design uh, more fluid objects, uh, things that can adapt in the future. Because we've seen this, uh, especially in the US, uh, in California, you know, there's always a discussion of adding another lane uh, to a highway that is already four lanes. Uh, by the time the fifth lane is added, the traffic fills it up again. And uh, during times like Corona, all of a sudden this whole band is empty and not used for anything else. So uh, I'm I, I would I would vote for kind of to rethink the system of designing. Uh, this includes my own discipline in solids versus in fluids, mm -hmm. kind of things that can change in the future that can adapt to a new concept. That is something I think even for infrastructure. This is not an end state we are in right now. This is just temporary. I think. And uh, we have to be very careful in like adding things uh, in concrete again to the city that we can hardly change in 10 years from now when systems might be different again. Well, you know, you, you worked in BMW at the same time I did when we did Gina, and that was a flexible car. Correct. Trying to show even yes. the heart of a car doesn't have to. And that actually, um, for those who know the car, that was a, a cloth car that changed <laughs> shape and stuff like this. Actually, in the years since BMW did that, I found more response from the world of architects mm -hmm. to that, that it changed their idea about yes. physicality. Mm -hmm. uh, it was quite interesting. It was quite yeah. interesting on that. Um, there's a, a point I'd like to throw into this discussion for this audience here to think about. I, you guys should have stuff to chew about as well. And this is the idea of responsibility. Um, we're in a world now where... Everybody's super hyper about privacy and my data and don't touch me and everything, you know, and I have to have 500 confirmations before I let the phone know where I am and everything like this. And we're intersecting a concept of mobility where I think it's pretty obvious that the more that is shared, the better it works. And the more that the system understands everybody's intentions and everybody's actuality, the better the system can work for us. That's an anathema in a world where we say it's super private, nobody gets into my data, and God only well, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Come on. If we say we're at a crossroads, are we at a crossroads of personal responsibility too? Question. You look at me. <laughs> okay. I mean, that question, uh, I know it's, it's enormous and it's important, but hasn't the moment already passed? We all have our cell phone in our pocket, and yeah, um, so our, my cell phone provider knows I'm sitting here now and we sort of trust them that they are regulated enough here that that's not being abused again. Well, would you go so far, excuse me, would you go so far as to say every bicyclist out there has to be able to tell the city at any moment where they are on their bicycle so that the city can understand how much of the infrastructure they're using and every motorist has to have the same out there so the city can understand that and and the red light, yeah. the green wella from the lights are going to be synced to that and the blah, blah, blah. Would you go as far as to say that? Okay, let me give me let, let me give you uh, a little bit less of a cynical answer. I, before I said it's just over; it has happened already. And all the where the scooters are, we know we know that already, or the company knows. But to be honest, I think there are no. 
the process that we are discussing it and that we are constantly challenging that while we know that there's benefit in that to create smart systems that communicate with each other, but to constantly uh, fight this fight uh, for privacy and trying to find that impossible line between useful, efficient, and still privacy and respectful to the citizen, I think that fight just needs to be fought. And, and there's no yes or no. Uh, it's just happening and it's, it's, it's a war, but I think uh, that's necessary. I, I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think if you ask people, can we use your data to make city planning better, to make your journey easier, to make our roads less congested, I think the majority of people will respond positively to that. I think there's, there's this ongoing psychosis about, you know, how much am I being watched? How much am I being monitored when it's, I haven't given permission? And I think it's, it's establishing enough trust for people to, to, to well, basically, People need to be asked permission and they need to trust that when they haven't given their permission that they're not being monitored. I think the benefits far outweigh the, the kind of penalties in a way, but I, I guess it comes down to your individual position on what's this being used for and how can it benefit society. But I think if, if, you know, if, if, if the mobility industry and the planning industry said, we want to use your data because we want to see how the city actually works, we want to see the process flow of people moving to and from work and so on, yeah, you know, I'd sign up for that. I'd be happy to be part of it, knowing that I'd been asked. Will your products have that? Will they have this ability built in? You yes. know, there's been data sharing bicycles and everything yeah. else like that. So yeah. is that where you see a future as well in your yeah, products? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, bear in mind, all is a tech company that's moved into mobility solutions. So our expertise is actually there. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. You I see think, this as well? I see this as well. And I think, uh, Chris, if you... Uh, we've, we hear this here uh, at ERR that there are certain cities that um, are very progressive when it comes to these type of policies and data sharing. And uh, if you kind of shed a light on that, you find that they actually embrace uh, data sharing. You know, they anonymize also to a certain extent. However, um, you know, Paris was one of the cities that is quoted here often. Um, they have 15,000 bikes. Uh, every bike is used, I believe, 14 times a day. They know exactly where these bikes are. They don't know if Chris or Holger use the bike, but they know where the bike is. To me, it's no question. It's just like it has to be that way um, for, for, for proper city planning. And this is why some of these cities like Paris are already advanced and, and uh, are perceived as progressive because they've implemented that early. Yeah. Maybe it's uh, a question of trust. And we are back at the initial statement on who's taking the decisions, who are the actors. Because we, we know if uh, Google would try to um, offer a mobility solution in Berlin-Kreuzberg, it wouldn't fly because the trust is gone already. But um, if there would be a, a partner from the local community, uh, or some uh, NGO, or maybe some in some other cities, it can be the municipal government, whatever, a trusted partner, then it can work. So it's, again, I think, a question of establishing the right communication channels and bringing the right communities together. And then we can get there in a positive way and not in a dystopian way. Let me, let me ask you guys a question for maybe this audience that comes from various technical backgrounds might be interested in. We talk about many solutions as if they're there. And that's it. We got it. We got everything from the scooters to the electro autonomous, et cetera. The fact of the matter is we have a universe of things to still invent and figure out. 
and the people who do that are the people who are going to win and make money and and have you know leadership products which are maybe the breakthrough ones so can i can you run through this just you guys give me your opinion if you could have a breakthrough innovation now that doesn't exist on the table don't tell me it's being developed in somewhere something that doesn't isn't on the table but you're saying gosh that's what the world is looking for do you see anything out there that you've constantly run your heads up against and you're wishing this is what i had my, my uh, technical solution for because the EI is also about technical solutions for people. And if we talk about design for spaces, design has to work with technology. We have to work with solutions. As Holger says, we, we have to make things functional. But that doesn't mean that all that stuff's already been invented. Is there something out there that you've seen you, or, or you're wishing for? Holger, you must be something. Oh, it's a, <laughs> it's a good one. Um, you know, I, I would like to combine many of the things that we talked about here, you know, the, the, the decision-making body. Um, you know, I think uh, I've learned this a while ago. Cities in Scandinavia, they integrate uh, architects and designers into their city council, into the city planning, creatives, basically. Uh, and uh, I believe if, if there would, is something I would wish for is that this uh, uh, curator or the conductor that I talked about earlier is a body of people very diverse, um, coming from the creative side of things, coming from the city planning side of the things, from from social, um, 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 from from the from the city planning uh, context, and um, you know, for for that group to be enabled, empowered to make decisions uh, on behalf of a city, on behalf of their citizens. So that's what I I, I think. We are at the beginning of breaking down some of these silos. I haven't seen, to be quite honest, yet that um, creatives, architects, designers have been uh, invited to that conversation at top level. Um, you know, we see this here. There's, there's all the technology is here in parts, uh, but there needs to be someone who is putting that together. Uh, that shouldn't be one organization or one city council. That should be a group of smart people from different disciplines. That's what I would wish for. I like that idea. It could even be a title. Yeah. Yeah. You see that. You said that earlier, the curator. Yeah. No, it's yours. It's yours. Uh, I like that. I like that. This, the, the communication curation answer, I like it also very much. It's very nice. I, I stay a bit, maybe more of a personal image and dream. If we don't veer into the science fiction of free energy, teleportation, that would solve a lot of problems too, you know. But no, what I do want to see as we talked so much about the public space, our streets, is to basically find a solution how we can just have the street as an um, open plane. You know, this utopian idea of the 60s, a space of all possibilities where you can play, sing, sell, stay, uh, sleep, drive, eat, uh, you know, um, and to enable that. Because technology, technology, excuse me, <clears throat> will be so far that no one is basically hurting themselves or dying because that's where much of our regulation comes from. If you go fast, you hit something. So if our mobility and our movements could work in such a way that it's safe no matter what, and we can fluently move without lanes, without designated areas through our cities, that would be a wonderful utopia. I guess I, I would add to, to, to what the, uh, the, the guys have already said in as much that uh, 
I think it's going to be a, 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 an accumulation of the technologies we have available to deliver this sort of utopian future. Mm. Something that fascinates me, though, is this, this notion of the fluidity of design of buildings and vehicles, because mm. something we haven't talked about, but it's, yeah. a, it's a very obvious thing to me, is with zero emissions vehicles, we can drive indoors. We can, we can drive around in here if we want to. It might be that we drive to our workspace and park our personal mobility solution there, and we use the tech that's on board to help us do our jobs. We might do our jobs from wherever we want to do them. It might be on a mountainside, you know, overlooking the, the California coastline. I think that's the opportunity is to give people sort of the, the freedom wherever they want to go with their mobility device and have a seamlessly integrated sort of ecosystem that allows that to happen. And I think it will, but it'll be a coming together of the technologies we've discussed today. Yeah, that, well, the, oh, the, the promise of the internet that sort of happened but didn't happen, no? Yeah, that yeah. we can be wherever we want, but yeah. this time for real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're not leveraging what is actually possible, are we? That's, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. 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 yeah, we're not for a lot of reasons. And um, this audience here, uh, part of the EAA is, of course, the OEMs, the, the big brands, etc. But the lion's share of the EAA is the suppliers. Okay, and there's an old saying in design, which is form follows suppliers. Okay, if the suppliers don't do it, it don't get done. <laughs> so I think some of the things you heard today, besides the political aspects, but if you just think about a fluid city, a fluid dynamic environment, spaces in which, oh, we're out of time. You Second. are out of time. We I are am out of time. so sorry. All right, just a minute. Let me finish. <laughs> if you think about what is required for those, it requires a, basically a mechatronic scalability at the same level of the digital scalability. And that is not there. It is not there. The physics is possible, but the suppliers aren't there. Okay, we're done. I, I have am to thank so my sorry. team. Thank you very much. Can we give them a big uh, hand? Big round of applause. Thank you.